This is the In This League Fantasy Podcast Network. In This League Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Online at InThisLeague.com. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Interact and follow the show on Twitter at InThisLeaguePod. Now, here's your hosts, Bogman and the Welsh. Welcome in, friendos. It is officially Hell Week. Are you Vince McMahon right there? What was that? <laughs> you just made me drag it and out. Did you, you didn't say drown? anything. I was just oh, like, oh yeah, no, I purposely waited for you to finish. No, I, I'm aware. You 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 completely left me hanging. I'm like, it's Hell Week, and you're supposed to go like, yeah, blah. And I'm like, ah, uh, uh, nope. I was uh, waiting to see what it turns into. What a great example week. of what Hell Week is going to be. <laughs> what is Hell Week? You ask. It is an episode every single day. Now I might not be hellish to you. Hellish to us because uh, we, as you know, it's a lot of recording. ITL, we do a ton of stuff, but every single year, right in the draft season, no matter what sport we're doing, we drop a hell week and it is a week dedicated to ranks. Other people might call it ranks week or whatever you want, but we're going to be dropping a ranks episode every single day this week. Today, we have got the corner infielders. There's just so many positions in baseball. We can't fit it in a week in a nice little package so we got to package these positions up. So we're going to be going first and third today. And all of our ranks are available over on patreon.com slash ITL Army. You could get them you could get them right now, Bogman. What? Can you imagine? What a deal. What a deal. <laughs> Let's go. Go get them right now this second. What a deal. Like we've had them forever. It's a smoking deal. Ranks of ours sitting right there. We've actually just got a little update dropped over the weekend, and then March 1st is kind of the next big update where we'll be adding tiers and we'll be adding all of that fun stuff to the uh, ranks list. we got Dynasty and just a million other things that we'll tell you about during the week if you happen to just be tuning in. But we're going to be dedicating it to uh, the power. You know, there's a lot of power. A lot of people, if you're talking about roster construction, if you're saying like, okay, you know, um, I'm going to... I'm going to draft stats positionally. Outfield is going to be a combination for some people. And this is just speculative. This isn't saying this is how it is. But for some people, you are going to find the power and the speed in the outfield. So if you have five outfielders, they want to split. Infield is where people might try to find their stolen bases. But corner, corner friends, that is where you want to make sure you have got some power. And they're not created equal this year, Boggs. No, no. I mean, first base is uh, scary, to be completely honest oh, with you. Oh, is it scary? It, it falls off a cliff. Like, I think you get to Little blood right, scared. right around scared? pick 20. I just don't want to be stuck with any of these losers post uh, you know, 20 in my rankings. I mean, it's just not it's just not a fun outcome. You know, so it's uh, it, it can get ugly. And that's what I did in the mock draft on Friday. If you listen to that, I had to take Eric Hosmer and I, you guys both made fun of me. I said, I, well, I have to have a first baseman. I need one. And then you guys said, well, you still don't have one. You have Eric Hosmer. So uh, he is very, very boring. But don't you don't want to put yourself in that position where you have to rely on Eric Hosmer. So I got to get him early. Got to in third base is the opposite. So many third basemen. Uh, going deep, like uh, I'm much, much more, I'm much, much happier taking a third baseman post 20. I mean, I don't want my star to be there more like a CI, but I think most CIs this season are going to come out of third base instead of first. Yeah, you're probably right about that. And there's, there's a lot of strategy stuff. So that's what we're going to do. 
We'll start off with first. We'll go to third. We'll kind of tell you what we think about, you know, where they where they start, where they stop. Um, we'll briefly kind of talk about what tiers might look like. But like I said, the new update on March 1st over on Patreon.com slash ITL Army, that is going to, uh, at least for me, Bogman, are you going to add tiers? Because I'm going to add tiers yeah. to these guys. Add tiers I, too. Because, you know, I would yeah. say, let's talk about this for just a minute at, at the forefront. Ranks are always divisive. You know, we uh, we did an episode of the Fantasy Black Book. It's another podcast we do with our good buddy and author of uh, the Fantasy Black Book, Joe Pizapia. We had Adam Ronis on and well-respected in the industry. Very, very smart guy. And, you know, he does all the stuff serious and he's over at Fantasy Alarm. And, you know, he, he said something to Bogman's delight, which is something we'll be doing next week because our top 300. And he's just like, I hate 300s. I refuse to do them. And, you know, people just start checking off of lists. And I think that still can also kind of happen in these positional tiers because this is the positional rank uh, week that we're going through is that you know you don't want to get too too caught up in like you know i gotta have this name because there are tiers of players and you could take advantage of it to your draft strategy so what i'm getting at is like where 300 lists i think they've got a kind of a fall off you know maybe the relative range is good but they start to fall off in their usefulness i think third base positional ranks are only also as useful as understanding the tier of the players. I think that's where I was trying to say this. It's only as useful as not only knowing the rank, but understanding the tiers and the value. Because to what you just said, Bogman, like I don't, I think the first, I think the narrative that first base is trash is it's a little overblown. While at the same time, understanding after you get past Jose Abreu at ten things really start to fall off. So it's not necessarily that the position sucks ass. It's just that, like, if you don't get involved in what's probably perceived as, like, tiers one through three are probably in that top ten, you start getting to tier four and you got to start Carlos Santana. You better hope you're in, like, a 15-, 16-man league if you're having to do that. Yeah, and it's just, you know, uh, a, a factor at first base with, there's plenty of guys to put up numbers last year. The numbers uh, aren't concerning. I mean, Josh Bell put up numbers, but he had a wonky second half. You know what I mean? Uh, Hoskins was terrible in the batting average. There's tons of these guys. They all come. You know how I am. I like to poke holes in the players. You do. And there's obvious gaping holes here in some of these guys' games. Mm. So uh, when you get past 10, it starts to just look dicey. It's not bad. I mean, I don't think... Any of these players are bad selections for your fantasy team, it, even in a regular uh, 12-man league, when, you know, up to 20 at first base. But after that, it gets to be like, ugh, do I really want any of this garbage? Yeah. So that's kind of what, what it feels like to me at first base anyway. So, that, so. that's what will be important, what we kind of talk about with these, is we'll, we'll talk about the tiers relative to the ranks. We'll kind of get you guys set. Obviously, this is something, if you care about, you know, our opinions— and our drafting strategies, we've also got some fantasy pros to balance against. We've got projections at our hand, the different projection systems if we want to go there. Plus, we'll even look at some NFBC ADPs as we are piecing this all out. And It's a killer time, man. TGFBI underway today, tomorrow, as we are recording this. If you're listening to it live, Bogman and I on the 25th, we're going to be hitting uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Dodgers. So Cody Bellinger, one of those first basemen in here, Mookie Betts. All the Diamondbacks. I got another game on uh, Wednesday. So, I mean, this is a great time for ITL. And uh, guess what? ITL's at the heart of it, whether it's real baseball or even some of the industry stuff. So let's get down to brass tacks, fellas. ITL, Bogman, Welsh, 
ranks. Let's go talk about first base. Hey, in this league. Look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. Not me. Not me. Who would have thought? Not me. Not me. Look at us. Look at us. Who would have thought? Not me. Not me. Firsty Basie. Bogman. Firsty Basie. Not mm. as pretty as it could be. It's sure not. No, it's not. It's not. It really isn't. I mean, there's going to be some guys that end up qualifying at first base, and I'm sure we'll get over some uh, time, yeah. Solution to some of these issues that we have here, but it it's not great, especially when we start. You know, we always go bottom to top. Thirty to twenty-one is kind of where we don't want to be taking no. starting first base. No, no, first I would baseman. say if you're starting first baseman is in. 21 to 30, at least where our ranks is, you, you've you really bombed out the position, and you better have picked up the slack in other spots. Because I do this all the time, and I, frankly, it's anno- it's annoying me, and I'm trying to do better every time, but, you know, I, I, one thing that, whether it's a fault or it works to my advantage, you know, the leagues tell me, I don't like to always be pressed to the runs. I don't like the draft controlling me. So I get really annoyed and pissed off when, you know, it's there's these amazing values on the board, but then the closers are starting to go, and then all of a sudden there's a huge SP run, and there and there's great position players, or vice versa. So what happens when I sometimes refuse to do that is I'm, I'm I bomb out of position. It's happened at second base. Um, I think I've done a good job so far this mock season of not letting it be first base, but it happened at third base in the uh, I think in the TGFBI draft I did. I had um, JD Davis as my third baseman. So it's not uncommon in bigger drafts to kind of bomb out a position, but you just don't want to be in this position where, you know, these really lower end guys, I mean, these are questionable corner infielders to be starting right. uh, at the bottom <laughs> list here. These are guys that, you know, maybe if you're in a 15 roto or maybe a big, you know, we play in some 16 man leagues or even 20, like, sure, you might, you might get an old school Joey Votto. You talked about Eric Hosmer, you know, those are the type of guys, but this is like a bottom barrel range of players that you want to be dipping in. And this is what differentiates the first and the third base. Like, cause you go and look at the guys at like, you know, 25 to 30 in third base. We're not even in the, the same hemisphere of the type of players comparative to 25 to 30 in first base. So this is a, th- <laughs> this could be a quick conversation, in, at least in this portion, as we go 30 to 21, I'll start here and um and no obviously as i say that we go bottom to top and there's and if there's any players that we're not talking about that aren't on our top 30 that are relevant we'll absolutely bogman you're you know free to throw out any names i've got nfbc stuff to uh kind of uh, counteract it so 30 to 21 for me i've got daniel murphy jose martinez qualifies there at 29 eric hosmer joey Votto, michael chavis at 26 howie kendrick a howie kendrick party at 25 Renato Nunez, CJ Cron, Christian Walker, and Luke Voigt at 21. Uh, for me, I've got Miguel Cabrera at 30, CJ Cron at 29, then Daniel Murphy, Evan White from the Mariners at 27, Yandy Diaz at 26, Joey Votto at 25, Renato Nunez at 24, Michael Chavis at 23, Eric Hosmer at 22, and Luke Voigt at 21. Let's start with Luke Voigt. Let's let's start with the the big Voigt in our rank. <laughs> uh, Voigt in our ranking. Come on. Because this is one I've highlighted because we are both, because we both have him at 21, we're four spots off of the Fantasy Pros average. So we have, we've 
compared these against Fantasy Pros, and I almost Four spots lower too. Lower, yeah, yeah that's a they're, better way to say They're at seventeen. Yeah, uh, we have them at twenty-one. And you almost can't look at the low with some of these, like these bottom end guys, because his low is like off the chart. But his high, his highest on Fantasy Pros, as someone has him as the fourteenth first baseman. His average is seventeen. Bogman, you and I come lower. We have got him as the twenty-first. Projections are all over the board on him. We've, uh, you know, we did a great episode. If you guys didn't catch it, with Ariel Cohen and Derek Cardi, who is ATC and the Bat Projection, both of them on the same episode. Listen to the differences between just ATC and the Bat. Are you ready? Yeah. ATC has him playing 122 games, hitting 23 homers, 66 runs, 66 RBIs with a 257 batting average, no stolen bases. That is Luke Voigt on the bat projection. Or I'm sorry, ATC projection. The bat projection, only 100 games, 18 homers, 58 runs, 54 RBIs with about the same batting average, 256. So... 22 game swing. That is the actually the highest Zips has them had 127 games. So that's the problem with Luke Voigt is we just don't know. You know they they've got some open spots, but they want to move Anduar around. Um, I don't know. They could maybe even mess with Talkman if Voigt doesn't work out. We don't have to worry about right. Greg Bird anymore. Thank God he's out in Texas right now. But that is a huge variance for a maybe full time player. But, I mean, he's not projected over 127 games on any platform. So I just don't get super excited regardless of the hot box that Atlanta, that uh, New York might be for his bat. Yeah, you know, I mean, you got to add up a lot of stuff here. Number one, plenty of guys that can play first base for the Yankees with, between Anuar, Voigt, Talkman, Mike Ford, uh, you Mike know, Ford. Uh, I'm sure LeMayhew could play first if they really needed him to. That cowardly scoundrel Mike Ford, what was the... Yeah, the the uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. There you go. That was the joke. But put um, Mike Ford in there. But put Mike Ford in there. The the coward first baseman Mike Ford who doesn't start. Uh, You know, uh, there's there's plenty of those things involved just as far as depth. Plus, he's hitting at the bottom of the order. I mean, look, anywhere in the Yankees lineup is good, but he's still a nine hole hitter and. He uh, the most games he's played in this season is the 118 that he played last year. So I just don't, you know, uh, I I don't know where the projection of well over 120 games comes from. I mean, you know, Zips at 127. Could he do that? Sure, he well, could. Well, it comes but from he, him being the starter. Like they're they're I, assuming I he's the starter, but also Look, like you know taking a hit because of like a platoon. I understand that. But there's no way I'd project him at 120 games. I'd put him at about 110. That's a little fewer than he played last season, knowing his injury history, plus knowing the depth chart of the Yankees. If he struggles early, he's going to get platooned really quickly. So that's why I just don't understand why he's at 17 on Fantasy Pros. A lot of people into Luke Voigt, I'm not going to be one of them. And it, you know, we haven't ranked at the same spot. Yeah, I'm you're not. probably not going to be one of them either. No, so. I mean he. It, I mean, also bad for uh, first second half split. He was 280 in the first half with 17 homers and 78 games. So I mean, if you know, if you split that out, that's a 35 homer guy. You know, in the 280s, you would lose your mind. But he fell off the cliff down to 228 in the second half. Only had four homers. Had an over 30 percent K percentage. Home run to fly ball ratio was sliced in half in the second half. And I just think there's other guys out there that are going to take time. So he's just not, 
He's not a target uh, of my. Like frankly, the two guys under him. I mean, this is something I should consider about. Like I think I've I buried him enough. When we do the three hundred episode. You'll kind of know, or maybe we'll talk about Voight. But like the two guys under him. Actually, I'd say maybe the whole four under him for me. I'm probably more likely to own because I think you know, you're going to have Yankee fans and you're going to just have optimists. You're going to have Luke Voigt optimists there where I would rather go give me Christian Walker, who I am, even though I'm lower, by the way, he's 16 on Fantasy Pros. I have it 22. CJ Cron, that's one of those guys. He always gets it done. I'm three spots higher than the Fantasy and Pros Kron's average. A, you know, look, he there's a difference between being in the Yankees lineup and the Tigers lineup, but CJ Cron is an everyday starter and he's going to hit cleanup. So, yeah. I mean, you know. Steamer that, projects him 28 homers this year as well. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, Cron uh, could definitely uh, pan out and be better than Luke Voigt, and it wouldn't be that surprising. I mean, I think Voigt has more upside, and when you're taking guys down in this group that you don't really care for, I'll, I'll look for upside at that point. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I would not be surprised to see Cron ahead of him uh, at all. No, and like Renato Nunez, it's another one of those guys. I mean, he, I mean, he's practically free. He, he's just he. I mean, because Baltimore is a wasteland. They are an absolute wasteland of talent right now. And he's a guy that comes at practically a free cost. And I'm trying to look here. I, I guess I'm gonna have to just search his name because I wanted to give you, um, I want to give you some projections on where Renato Nunez, because he kind of came out of nowhere last year. Projections are actually fairly um, fairly kind to him. He had 31 homers in 151 games last year. The bats got him at 29 homers with a 241 average. ATC, 27 homers. Steamer, 28 homers. So, you know, am I going to take... Let's look here for a minute where... Where is Voight? Voight is the 19th first baseman going off on... Um, on NFBC as of February 1st. So I did draft champions and February 1st. So, you know, this is like, you know, a lot more newer data. Voight's got an ADP of 198 where a guy like Renato Nunez, 263, and he's the 27th first baseman. I'd rather if, if I'm dipping in this territory and I give a crap, I'd rather go with the Crons who's two spots lower. I'd rather go with the Renato Nunez's if I have to. And, you know, I'm just not as big as on Christian Walker as like, a lot of other people, just because I think there are dudes that um, there's dudes that might take that spot. Seth Beer could be one of those guys. There's Kevin Cron that's out there. So this is just a weird area that I think Nunez Nunez makes a lot more sense than a guy like Luke Voigt. Yeah, yeah, and he's going to be way cheaper. There's always someone in each league that seems to believe in Luke Voigt, and which is fine. I hope. Yeah, so. yeah, that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, he's got tons of upside, and that's why I have him at the top of this group of 10 here is because he does have more upside, I think, than anybody else on this list. But um, I'm just, I, I, I don't think I'll have any shares of Luke Voigt because I'm not willing to pay for him. Probably so. the last guy to just maybe talk about, when we kind of talked about, I mean, hot, I mean, you can pair these guys together if you want, but Joey Votto, you know, Joey Votto is, he's going to be just a tough one. He's just not going to be on the wire. Like people are just not going to let him on the wire. I, I'll tell you what, dude, I think even if you're in like 12 man leagues, I still think people are going to, Maybe we're going to jump on drafting Joey Votto. And I want to be that guy because he's just such a tried and true player. But you can't, he's just a corner infielder that's not going to surpass 20 homers. He has not had a 20 homer season since 2017. Uh, two straight years. You want to know a fun fact? If you combine 2018 and 19, it is still less homers than he had in all of 2017. 
<laughs> it's just it's done. It's done yeah. with him. And I'm looking yeah, like I, mean, I don't know why I have Votto above Hosmer now that I'm looking at this. This is that's a change I'm gonna make. He's he's 36 years old, and I understand it. There's still gonna be some people that are into him, but you know, you were getting for three straight years. He hit 300 between 15 and 17. 314, 326, 320. Then he dropped down to 284 and 18 and all the way down to 261 last year. He's not missing a ton of games. I mean, he's playing through back issues both years. Last year, he missed 20 games. Year before that, 17. So not much. I mean, he's at least making his uh, games and stuff. But I think I think Votto is kind of on the opposite end where if he doesn't perform the first month, you're going to see him on all the wires. Like, people are going to yeah. get fed up and I mean, he's, dump him. He's going to be on wires. Like, he's going right. to have his lowest percentage owned in a long time because he's not draftable in 10-man. I don't think he's draftable in 12-man, but I think the name value, like, when people miss out on, like, even Hoskins and stuff like that, they're going to look and they're going to be like, Luke Voigt or Joey Votto, and they'll be like, well, you know, Votto could, like, turn it around in Cincinnati. And it's right. like, eh, it hasn't, hasn't for two years. What's the thing that makes us think that he's going to be able to do that? <laughs> And every stoner that's drafting will do that because you gave them yeah. a stoner voice. They're like, I, yeah. eh, well, I guess Joey yeah. Votto could work pretty well, so it'd be fine. <laughs> you know how good. So, so it's a gross, up, bro? It's a gross spot. I mean, Hosmer is one of those late, cheaper guys that, you know, I think I am more that I look at it and I think about some of my strategy, I bump up. There's, there's something about Howie Kendrick I like if he's going to have time. But, it, you know, if I'm picking a guy or two out of this, it's probably Nunez and Cron that I'm going to have the most shares of in this bottom territory. Yeah, I mean, for me, as far as this territory goes, I mean, if, if Hosmer is yeah. falling off, I, I've proved I'll take him. And I don't think I'll own him because I have you in front of me too often, but I do like Evan White too. Well, so. we're going to talk about him here in just a little minute. Why don't you give me 2211 on your list? 22-11 for me is, starting at 20, Jock Peterson moving up to Christian Walker at 19, Danny Santana at 18, Edwin Encarnacion at 17, uh, Carlos Santana at 16, Grandal at 15. Miguel Sano doesn't qualify at first yet in most leagues, but he's going to play first for the Twins, so we put him on this list. Uh, I got him at 14, then I have 13, Reese Hoskins, 12, Yuli Gurriel, and 11, Trey Mancini. All right, at 20, I have got... Evan White, who we just talked about. 19, Jock Peterson. 18 is Danny Santana. E5, I've got at 17 with his new home with the White Sox. He has Monty Grandall, who also qualifies at first. I've got at 16, Miguel Sano, who you mentioned, uh, getting that first base when he does at 15. Yuli Gurriel, Carlos Santana, Reese Hoskins, and Trey Mancini. So let's talk about Evan White for a minute. And if you want to talk about tiers, because now we're talking, we're talking more appropriate tiers, I would say... <laughs> this is like a tier five or six type of thing because in my top 10, I believe there are three tiers. Then in this 11 to 20 range, I kind of think Mancini to Santana is a tier and then Gurriel down to uh, Danny Santana is a tier. So this is kind of like tier six for me where Evan White is, but I have got Evan White higher than Anybody in the world. His highest rank on Fantasy Pros is 32. His average on Fantasy Pros is the 43rd first baseman. Remember, these numbers we're giving you on Fantasy Pros. Those are the uh, positionally. I've got him at 20, and I am a firm believer in Evan White, who is going to get his first. He's going to get the full run. I mean, this is what Seattle's doing. He's going to get the full run at first base. It's his gig. They signed him to a big old contract, so he's not going to the minors. 
Projection systems don't know how to deal with a rookie like him. This is totally common, Boggs. I mean, you want to talk about variance? Let's go back to the bat in ATC. The bat, um, none of them are good on his counting stats, but the bat has him playing 130 games with 15 homers, 53 runs, 58 RBIs, and a 237 batting average. That's the bat. That's Cardi's. But ATC has him only playing 100 games but 15 homers, only a couple less runs and RBIs, but a 259 batting average. That's 22 it's crazy how points. The, the numbers, the counting stats are almost the same in 30 fewer games. Yeah, so. and, and the batting average is way better on uh, ATC. And to be frank, the bat is the least. I mean, Zips is pretty aggressive, aggressively low. Depth chart and Steamer both has 19 homers. I mean, Cardi talks about this. Like, you know, like Cardi doesn't, the, the bat, does I think the bat does really well with rookie pitchers. I'm not so sure how it has done with um, with rookie bats, but that's a whole other argument. I don't even care to have because whatever, it's fine. Those numbers, those are not great for a first baseman. Those are like Joey Votto type numbers. But Evan White's a guy that I've uh, I mean I've seen for multiple years, and he is not going to get off the field because of his defense. His defense will keep him there, so he's going to be given every every opportunity to keep going. Seattle might not create a ton of RBI opportunities, but this guy knows how to hit. You know, he learned some stuff from Keston Hira from two years ago in the AFL. He started hitting a bunch more homers. He actually had a career high last year in AAA, hitting 18 homers in 92 games. This was after the AFL. As like I mentioned, he was, um, uh, he, you know, he had played with Keston Hira. We kind of cited him when I, in, I interviewed um, Evan White when we were talking. He hit 293. Batting average isn't necessarily an issue. He's got power. He's got trajectory. I don't think he's going to be a 30-plus homer guy, but I think Evan White's a guy that can hit I think he can hit into the mid-20s. I think he can be a 260 to 270 batting average on the low. And I think the counting stats can sit higher in the 80s. So maybe the upside still isn't like crazy exciting, even comparative to Renato Nunez. But Evan White's a player that I want to invest in this year because I think there's more upside like you go that list down, I think there's more upside with Evan White than there is Luke Voigt, and there's going to be some manufacturing of runs in Seattle. So that's kind of my little diatribe. I apologize there, but I am going to be aggressive and wanting to own my shares of Evan White, assuming it's a league that makes sense because I'm going to be aggressive early on first base. So I might draft myself out of him being relevant, but 15 and 16 man leagues, I'm going to try to get my shares of Evan White, who I think is going to beat these projections. And he's super low. Look, I'm not nearly as excited about Evan White as the Welsh is. I'm just not close. Yeah. So, but there's the other going. world. 351 ADP, man. Right, right. And that's the point that I, I'm making here is, you know, you don't have to be that excited as the, the Welsh is. You can say, hey, look, I'll just take this guy at the very end of my draft, see if he pans out in the first month. And if he doesn't, I'll dump him, you know, because that's where he's going off right now. He's going off at 43 behind, like, Brandon Belt. And his teammate, uh, Daniel Vogelbach and Will Myers, who doesn't have playing time as we're recording this. So th there's plenty of guys. I mean, he's behind Jesus Aguilar. So, you know, take him above him. You know, I, I don't mind taking a flyer on Aguilar, but not if Evan White's still on the board. Yeah, so. and, there's, and there's better power potential guy like Renato Nunez. Aguilar might be better right. power potential. But the thing I like about Evan White is I don't think there's guys that are kicking down the door to get him off the field. And I also believe... You know, at this position, it's very common, Boggs, and almost a majority of all of the names we've talked about, these are not high batting average players. So if you're going to be taking these type of guys, you're going to be taking one off the top on batting average. I believe 
regardless of the projections, and I may have to eat this, I think Evan White's a guy that can hit for a much better batting average than you know his peers here. I, I mean, I think he could be two seventy plus really if I want to be, you know, if I want to be okay and try to be level headed. It's probably like you know two sixty to two seventy, but if he hits two eighty or two ninety, I will not be shocked whatsoever because this is the type. He's a contact hitter. There's a lot of Bellinger comps to him very very early on. He just doesn't have that power. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's a good point to make too. Is you know when you're down here drafting in this area, you're probably looking more for certain stats or positions. Yeah. It's one or the other uh, in your roster construction. So if you're looking for batting average. Take him over the likes of Nunez and uh, you know CJ Cron and guys like that. Who else do you like in uh, in this range? I mean, we got some other markers. We are we're higher than a, a decent group uh, across the board. But give me a player in this eleven to twenty range you want to talk about. Well, I mean, there's just E five just keeps doing it right, and it's hard to it, it's hard to not enjoy what he does on a year-in, year-out basis. He only played 109 games last year, and he still hit 34 bombs. Now, his average was low at 244, uh, and he was in you know Yankee Stadium, so a uh, nice ballpark and everything. But I don't think he loses much going over to uh, Chicago and playing for the White Sox this year because the lineup is really, really good, and he's smack dab in the middle of it, you know, hitting four or five on a daily basis, either before or uh, just behind Yasmani Grandal with the Brayu and Eloy is cleaning him up. Mazar is behind him as well. Luis Roberts going to get a shake there too. So uh, I think E5 is, uh, I-, I wouldn't say criminally underrated, but I-, I think that people see him and go, eh, old, pass. Yeah, I think. And I still like him. What, what's interesting too is like the two guys that are above him, I mean, E5 is kind of technically number 15 for both of us because we both met 17 because Grandall, you are not... If you draft Grandall as a first baseman, get out of here. He just qualifies. Sano does not qualify there yet, but presumably he's going to playing first base. So he'll get there. But So E5 kind of almost becomes a defunct 15. I see him as like kind of the last ditch option. I, I see him in the same territory as Carlos Santana. You know, Carlos Santana, there's a lot of... There's a lot of people that are not in the belief camp that he is going to be that that it what he did was repeatable. Like especially the batting average. We talked with you know Pizapia doesn't believe whatsoever that he's going to be able to maintain those numbers. Projections: 29 homers on steamer, 260 batting average, and then you take Guriel, who I believe across the board Guriel is not going to be able to repeat, but he's a good batting average guy. Then you take E5, and E5 is actually to me kind of a complement of both. Like he could bomb out a little bit, but he also could easily. Nelson Cruz, 40 homers with the White Sox, which is a super powerful lineup. And, you know, kind of, kind of comp. I, I, I think he's in, I have him in the exact same tier as Gurriel and Santana. And it's just, if you miss those guys because they cost so much, Santana, you're going to get later. Even though, as I say this, I've got him at 17. You have him at 17. In Fantasy Pros, he's 15. But think of it like it's 15 because I'll bet you those guys are not counting Sano and they might not be counting Grandall either. So we probably right. have him even. Uh, yeah, I think they are counting both those guys, but it really doesn't matter. They're when counting. You get, do you think they're counting Sano? Even they though? are. Oh, okay. they are. Uh, I I I looked it up and you know put this whole dumb thing together, and that's why we have Sano here. Uh, but but yeah, I mean they're in there, but it doesn't matter because when you get into drafts, 
that is not where he's being drafted. It's just not. So where is he on the, you have the NFBC ADP pulled up, right? Where is he among first basemen there? 17. 17. So, and that I know doesn't count Snow because Snow doesn't qualify. They do count um, Grandall. So who's the guy that's making, oh, you know who's making it ahead? Danny Santana. Danny Santana. And Danny Santana makes sense. I mean, look, we've got him. I've got him at 18. You've got him at 18. Fantasy Pros uh, has him at 18. So uh, there's some upside there. Not going to be a a full-time starter. Like he might because he's going to move around. But I think there's a a slight little tiny more risk with Danny Santana. But, you know, I mean, Todd Frazier is their third baseman. They've committed to Solak. That's the ugliness that we talk about with first base, though, is, you know, Danny Santana should not be questionable. He had a fantastic year at the plate last year. He should be getting every day at bats. But he's not great on defense, so they don't really know where to stick him. And uh, so he's not going to earn himself a full-time role with the glove, which always translates to the bat. So uh, that's kind of the ugliness. I mean, I I like Christian Walker. You don't particularly care for Christian Walker because you're still afraid of uh, Seth Beer, right? Yeah, it's Seth. I mean, I'm saying that. Like, Seth Beer, I think, is an option. I think Kevin Cron is still out there. Jake Lamb, another one, like... Like Lamb has been pushed off of first base like wholly and completely. So I mean Eduardo Escobar is going to be the full time third baseman. So Lamb's only spot is first base. So between Cron and Lamb and Beer, you know, Walker has to be really good. You know, and, and they, right. projections have him hitting two forty eight. Like is two forty eight gonna work? I don't know. Like, I mean, if the, the homers keep flying like they were, it could. I just think there's more risk with Christian Walker. So it's such a weird territory. You know, and by the way. And everybody has that. That's what we were talking about before we started talking about this. Every single guy on this list has that. I mean, I got Jock Peterson at 20. You have him at 19. We may have to move him lower now. Well, dude, I was going to say RIP. RIP yeah. to uh, Jock Peterson when he was with the Angels. I'm trying to remember where I bumped him up when he was getting full time with the Angels. It was a, I would have probably had him a couple spots higher. Like I might have yeah. had him around Grandall type of a range. And now with the Dodgers and him platooning with AJ Pollock, yeah, you're right. Like the more I look at this, you know, I have Jock at 19. I don't know. I, I you know what it is. I just I'm probably not going to own Jock. Like he he deserves yeah. to be in here because his power is uniquely great. And the dot you got to imagine the Dodgers the. And he could still get traded. That's that's I where mean, I was going to go with it. Like, there's a little bit you got to imagine they're still going to consider moving Jock because that's not great there with all the trade stuff. So if that's gonna if that were to happen and he were to go to a spot, I mean, went to Texas. I mean, my God, man, if he went to Texas, you know, that's something where you know Jock becomes like Carlos Santana, and that's where he would be valued. But it's such a it's such a myriad of blah. So let me ask you this then, <laughs> where I can potentially dip in like Santana. I really like, you know, and I might need to consider adding Santana to tier four because I've got him as the top of tier five. Like, I think I might be okay with Carlos Santana. And actually I'm going to do that because I think he belongs in there. But like Reese Hoskins is maybe one of the prime examples of the last bastion of hope at first base. (laughs) And he's one of those positive regressors, uh, positive regression from last season where he played 160 games of mediocre baseball. He hit 29 homers, which is great. Mid-80s in the runs and RBIs, which is fine. But he hit two. That's not great with the way the ball was. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, it's 29 homers at first base. Like, you got that from Renato Nunez 150, 300 picks later. So, okay, mediocre, mediocre, mediocre. His strikeout percentage went up. He did walk more. He was looking at more pitches. 
His BABIP was it was about on par, but he has had a three-year drop in batting average, and it went to an, an all-time low to 226, but his OBP was up. All projection systems are not buying a ounce of it, which is which is amazing. And I want to remind you, 160 games he played of mediocre baseball, 705 plate appearances. Every projection system has him playing almost 10 games less, and we are anywhere from five to seven more homers across the board. A couple have him in the hundreds in the RBIs, and every one of them is getting him into the 240s in batting average. So everyone's saying it was a massive bomb out last year, but I don't know. I don't know if his cost even still warrants it, but I mean, an ADP of 121, that's something decent to bet on. So he's kind of like the last, if you miss out on the top, you want to get in on Reese Hoskins, even though it was a bad year, because the turnaround seems um, seems likely, at least if you believe in the projection systems. And I'd be willing to risk it. Like, if I've missed out so much, this is something I'd be willing to risk. Yeah, I understand that. And I had the hardest time deciding between him and Guriel. You know, uh, him and Guriel because they're right next to each other in all kinds of rankings and stuff. And when you look at Guriel's stats, they're just so much better. I mean, he hits almost 70 points better than Hoskins did last year. So it's one of those, I don't know if I believe in what Guriel did last year because it was such a bump up. You know, he had 18 homers in 2017. He had 13 in 2018. He went all the way up to 31. Uh, So was that he knew what was coming? I mean, we obviously know that stuff was going on in 2017, though. So what was the big turnaround for him? I'm not sure what it was. And, you know, they have some negative regression for him as well. ATC has him at 289. The bat has him at 278. And low 20s in the homers for everybody with him, assuming the ball comes back down the same way, whereas Hoskins is in the 30s on these projections. And I just don't know who to believe. So, uh, Well, but besides the projections, do you believe? Like, are you cool with Hoskins as your starting first baseman this year? Not really. I don't. Okay, want, you know I, what? I don't want either one of these guys as my Fair starter. Point. To be honest with you, but but I I, I don't. Uh, I feel like I'll take the batting average because with the batting average can come home runs uh, versus Hoskins, who definitely has more power. But uh, I, I mean, he 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 had fewer homers than Guriel did in sixteen more games. Here's so, an interesting note on Steamer: Hoskins is projected to have the fourth most homers of anybody at the first base position. The fourth most. I know. That's pretty big. Also, Hoskins gets a very, very fine boost in OBP leagues. That's a consideration you should have. I mean, he had a 120-point swing, or at least that's the projection for this year. Last year, no, yeah, it was about a 120-point swing last year, and projection systems are doing that as well. So he's almost kind of got like a Joey Gallo-ness. So... Everybody is um, everybody's kind of in the camp. I mean, I agree with you that regardless of this, I'm not going to feel good. By the way, and this is, I think, where some of this comes from, he had a 180 batting average in the second half. So I, what I find odd is in the first half, 263, 20 homers. I mean, if you keep that pace, we're golden, baby. But he yeah. go, he bombs out. He bombs out at 180. And a lot of times people want to take that with them into the new season and be like, we should be concerned it looks like a lot of people are giving him a pass. There seems to be a pretty heavy pass that's given to him um, from that second half last year of just a lot of bad luck. I mean, and to be fair, it was like a 90-point difference between Babip. So 
you know, there was some of that. He just wasn't hitting the ball well. So if we're healthy this year, he's one of those prime options, but he's a better corner field option. And I think what the big key here, which I think you agree with Boggs, is these are all fine tier four, tier five. Like you can make those your corner infield. You don't want to be into tier six or below. But the top 10 is where we want to be drafting from at first base. And this is part of our strategy. So you want to talk about the top 10? Yeah, let's go. Jose Abreu is my number 10. Number nine, Josh Bell. Number eight, it's a little bit of a a tricky one, is Max Muncy. Now, I will never start him at first base because I'd be drafting him for my second base, so (laughs) you can adjust accordingly. Uh, Matt Olson I have at number seven, DJ LeMayhew at six. Top five is Anthony Rizzo, Paul Goldschmidt, Pete Alonzo, Freddie Freeman, and Mr. Cody Bellinger. Uh, a little different here at the bottom. I've got Josh Bell at 10, followed by Max Muncy at 9, and then Jose Abreu at 8. Then uh, 7 on up, I believe we are the same. It's Matt Olson, DJ LeMay, Hugh Anthony Rizzo, Goldie, Alonzo, Freeman, and Bellinger at 1. So there's, I mean, there's a lot to unpack. I, we're not going to talk about Max Muncy in this episode because he's a second base. He qualifies there, and that's where we're going to talk about him. The bottom is... Um, I think the bottom are huge values. I mean, specifically Josh Bell and Jose Abreu. Those are guys that, like, I, I see this as a common strategy. My top tier first baseman, Bellinger, Freeman, and Alonzo, that is tier one. And I think some people would consider only Bellinger and Freeman tier one, or might even break those three apart. That's my top right. tier. Then you've got, I've got a second tier, which is Goldschmidt and Rizzo. And then this third tier is like LeMayhew through Abreu. What I think a lot of people are doing is if you miss out on Bellinger or Freeman or maybe Alonzo, but it might be those first two, people are not necessarily digging in. If they get a good price on Goldschmidt or Rizzo, they will. But then what they're targeting, so they're taking you know maybe some speed guys, some pitching guys, and then they're saying, get me Bell or Abreu. Get you know Bell, Bell turned it back around where he started hot, then bombed out, and then turned it back around. You know, his workout regimen changed a whole lot last year. We saw amazing results. There's still a firm belief in him. And Jose Abreu is just like he is the the roto he's the roto man's first baseman, if you will. <laughs> Everybody's favorite, Jose Abreu, big good team to be on this year. A lot of options. 32 homer projection on Steamer. Over 100 RBIs probably due to all those dudes. Yep, and a 275 batting average. So he is one of those few that doesn't hurt you because in the top 10 power projected first baseman bogs, the the top 10 power guys who are projected to hit over 270 are Bellinger, Freeman, Rizzo, Abreu, Goldschmidt and Mancini. That's it. And then if you go down the list, you can add Josh Bell and Gurriel and almost everybody else after that, regardless of homer projections. You want to talk, they're all like 240s and 250s. So there's like (laughs) seven guys that are 25 to 30 plus homers with a 270 batting average. And Abreu is one of those who comes at an extremely friendly cost of 75 or the eighth first baseman on NFBC. Yeah, and that's fine. Like, I don't know that... I don't think you're getting a deal on Abreu there. Like, who are... Yeah, I agree with that. If you look at the overall Welsh, I don't know if you can pull that up real quick, but sure. if you look at the overall, like, who is he going by? Because I think he... I don't know that he's a deal, but I think he's like, you're sitting there, you have a, a solid team put together, and you still need a first baseman. I don't think it's bad to be grabbing him there. I'll actually... You know what's funny about this? If we're just talking about NFBC for a minute... I think the guy in front of him 
and the guy below him are the deals. The guy in front of him, who is literally on the overall one spot above, is Paul Goldschmidt. I will take okay. Paul Goldschmidt ten out of ten times um, in the in the same round that Abreu was going. Like if, if we're in the seventies and Goldschmidt's there, give me that all day. Yes, 100%. but Josh Bell is down here at ninety three overall. Ninety five is technically his ADP, twenty spots lower than Abreu. So that's my argument why, like. I think I think the power potential is actually higher with Josh Bell. I think some of the counting stats can get up. Some of the projections don't necessarily agree. Steamer has him three less homers this year, but twenty spots lower. I don't think there's a difference between Bell and Abreu enough to justify going twenty spots up. Where what you were talking about before, out of position players around him, below Abreu are guys like Max Muncy, who was second base eligible. You've got Kirby Yates, Luis Robert is in there, Eugenio Suarez has fallen off, Matt Chapman, who we'll talk about in a little bit, and a couple guys above are Rizzo's not too far above, Tommy Pham, Ramon Lariano. So I I think your assessment of like Abreu's cool and fun, but he's not a deal where he's kind of surrounded by deals. Right, right. And that's why, and that could be just another reason why he slips and slips in, in, in drafts. So, um, you know, I, I, I like Abreu, but. I haven't found my find myself drafting him uh, at all. You know, to be fair, year. I haven't either. I I've drafted Bell. I tend to draft. I tend to um, get one of the top three guys. That's where I'm at. Like I like DJ LeMayhew a lot. I like Matt Olson a lot. He's projected the third most uh, homers as far as first base goes. I think you know he's a he's actually kind of a deal based on close to forty homer potential power. DJ LeMayhew is super fun, but he is. He's kind of this odd case where, like, he shows up on Fantasy Pros at 11 at first base. We have him at six. You might, if you get the multi position eligibility, you don't really even want him at first base. So that's probably why, you know, positionally he shows up there. But he's not really like a deal. He's inside the top 70 on NFBC. Like, people have smartened up to him. So I'm yeah, not so Mayhew's much sure. not a deal. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how much sure. And, and it's not all about deals, by the way. And it's just about you know drafting the players that make the most sense for your team. But Lemay, but Lemayhew's once again, he's one of those guys where you're not taking him for to play first base for you. He qualifies yeah. at second. It's nice that he qualifies at second, third, and first. So it, it's kind of weird. So we have him. Uh, ranked higher in the overall because he can play second base. Second play, second base uh, makes uh, first base look deep this season. Yeah, so, that's, a, that's uh, a good I'm, uh, you know, you're definitely taking that dude to play second base, and that's why, you know, he is high on the first base values. Where some people are like, "What are you doing?" Like the rest of these guys can hit 40 homers. What are you doing taking DJ LeMayhew there, who hit, you know, it was his first year of 20 or more homers, and he hit 26. And a lot of people, you know, all the projections, 18 for the bat, 19 for ATC, uh, depth charts at 18, and zips at 17, steamer at 19. So no one has him hitting 20. I don't think he'll get there again. But he's hitting in the middle of the Yankees lineup. Once again, great spot to be in. He qualifies on at three different positions. So I don't really see what the, the downside is. He's a Swiss taking. Army knife. He's the draft Swiss yeah. Army knife this year, which is so there, great There's about no him. downside in taking no. him. Rizzo and Goldie. Um, they're kind of their own tier for me. They're the um, they're kind of like the Lost Boys. You know what I mean? Like everyone's kind of forgotten about them. And they're vampires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally bloodsuckers. Everyone's kind of just like off a little bit. They don't cost what they used to. I believe they're both going in like. I mean, I just told you Goldie was going like the '70s. So is Rizzo. You know, people have just fallen. And 
like I, I'm I'm not as big on Rizzo anymore, even though projections are pretty nice to him. Almost a hundred hundred with thirty two homers, a two eighty four batting average, which I believe is uh, of the top ten guys. It's the third best behind only Bellinger and Freddie Freeman, and he is a pillar of consistency. But the power numbers have wavered. He, has, he hasn't hit 30 homers since um, 2017. And Steamer's like, yeah, he's going to hit 32. I'm just not where I'm in on Goldie because I have, I have understand now who he is. He's not a double digit stolen base first baseman. He's a mid 30 homers with um, probably 90 to 100 on runs and batting uh, runs and RBIs. And it's going to have a 270 to 290 batting average variance. So for his cost, I'll probably own. I think we all want to own a lot of Goldie this year, so I'm more likely to own him over Rizzo. I am too, but I think we've seen in a couple drafts, and I could be mistaken, but I feel like Rizzo just falls. You know, yeah, Rizzo becomes a deal because I think a lot of people have the same mindset of, look, you know, if I'm taking a first baseman, I'm not going to chase Rizzo after Goldie. I'm going to let him fall, yeah, and that's fair. Uh, but if that happens, then sometimes he just falls to a better deal a round or two later than Goldie. And, you know, if he's still sitting there at that point, I think he's an easy snap up uh, because I like him over the rest of these guys like Olsen and Abreu and Muncie and Bell just I, because I, of the c- consistency. I think him. an ideal situation is we're having one of these top five. And that's what's so weird is like. There's like a 40 spot difference between you getting Alonzo, who I think averages right around like 30 or 29 or something like that, like in that, yeah, 34 on um, NFBC. There's like a 30 spot swing where people just say, all right, I'm done. I need to get my pitching and my speed guys. And then they come in and attack um, uh, Rizzo or Goldie. So if you have that mindset, you can make sure to get them. What I feel like that does is that creates a floor for a really unstable position. And that's why I would suggest getting in the top five. Bellinger speaks for himself. I'm very high. We'll actually talk about more about him in the first base episode or the outfield episode, at least com- comparatively. But I think he, he's the only first baseman projected for double-digit stolen bases of relevance. So you can take that to the bank. That's important. You know, from Hoskins where you might get two, Bellinger projected at 12. That's a big difference with 40-plus homers. Freeman is kind of the same thing. He's just... um you know, mid thirties, hundred hundred, highest batting average of the of the crew with Acuna and Ozzy around him, so he gets that. And I am even. I'm trying to say this correctly. Even if Pete Alonso comes back down to earth, like everyone wants him to, everyone's making too big of a deal about him coming back down to earth because he's he's still a forty homer guy. Like his batting yeah. average might set settle down, like Steamer says, around two fifty two. We're still into the 40s, 100-100. He is still a he's one of the premier power bats in the game that people are overinflating like he's going to disappear. He's Aaron Judge at first base. So, I am going to be aggressive on Pete Alonso cuz I want elite power. So, if we don't get those guys, I want to make sure I secure a Goldschmidt or Rizzo after the fact because I believe the floor and the upside is all nice and sustained, and this is the land. The land I want to sit in is one of these five as my starter, and then presumably if I had the wherewithal to get another top 10 as my corner infielder, that's great, but as you alluded, we're probably drafting our corner infield from third base later. Yeah, exactly, and just to hammer home, uh, home your point on uh, Pete Alonso, I, can't, I just can't imagine why someone would put him at seven. You know, that someone put him uh, because we have the differences in his ranks here. He's between as high as three, 
uh, because Bellinger's one on literally everyone's list. His, one, his high is one, his low is one. Uh, Freeman is two on everyone's list. High, two, low, two. And this is like 35 people on Fantasy Pros that have ranked. So I'm trying to find out who put him at seven uh, because I just am completely I, shocked. I by think that. what it comes from is the un the un, the non belief of the home run fly ball being sustainable. That he's going to be able to sustain what he did last year because he had a thirty point six. He was only one of four guys and the only first baseman to ha- have qualified to have a thirty plus percent home run to fly ball ratio, and that's that's not believable to a lot of people. And to be fair. Of the top four who were in the 30s, he had the lowest hard hit percentage of that crew. He had the highest soft hit percentage, but he had the highest medium percentage, and he is so bull strength that medium hit percentage for a guy like Pete Alonso, the ball is still going to fly. The guys above him, by the way, are Fran Reyes, Nelson Cruz, and Christian Yelich. So people want to say a rookie of his caliber, it's not sustainable, but it is. I do believe and, it and is. I'm- I'm looking, there's only one guy that has him at seven, and literally every other ranker has him. One guy has him at six. Uh, It's a six, a seven, everyone else three or four, and one two in there. People are worried about uh, that second half, too. 235, second half, but he still hit 23 homers in there. So I think the floor is fine enough for Alonzo. That's where I want to go, and that's why um, we both want top five uh, first basemen. So that would be where we're going to attack the strategy into the top tiers, top three tiers of first base. Want to go talk about third base? Let's go. Here we go. Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, that dang old... In this league. Talk about www.wcomedy. Major, go click, 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 click. It's real easy, man. Uh, I don't know what you're saying, but that, that's what's going on, yeah. Hot corner. This is different. It's a little bit different. Let's not overinflate it. Let's not make it like third base is the greatest thing ever, but where... 21 to 30 or 30 to 21, however you want to look at it, for first base wasn't a place that we wanted to live. The rank range of a third baseman in 21 to 30, though they're still not like guys that you want to start. You know, I don't think you want to start necessarily start a Hunter Dozier or a Tommy Edmond or I did it, but I had to do it in one league with a JD Davis. It's not the most ideal situation on the planet. It's not ideal. But I think you're way more comfortable starting J.D. Davis every day than you are starting Michael Chavis, you know, yeah. or Luke Voigt or any of those guys. So. And, and there's an argument to be had that we, we did it when we, or at least, you know, I hammered it down when we did our Nolan Arenado versus Freddie Freeman debate that, you know, the, the top end of first base is as adequate as the top end of third base. But just when you get into the teens, you still got massively talented players that can play your corner infield spot. So this is why, you know, you do miss out on one of the top guys. I mean, you know, number eight at third base is not that far off and maybe even number one at third base where that's not the case at, at first. So let's talk about this kind of a uh, this bottom in here of the third baseman. Boggs, you want to go 30 to 21 first? 30 to 21 at third base for me. I've got Todd Frazier from the Rangers at 30. Ryan McMahon at 29, Yandy Diaz from the Rays at 28, then Miguel Anjuar Harjar at 27, Brian Anderson at 26, Gio Urshela at 25, Hunter Dozier at 24, J.D. Davis at 23, Tommy Edmond at 22, and Justin Turner at 21 for my uh, third base ranks. Now I've got Alec Baum at 30, uh, Phillies rookie, Brian Anderson who uh, kind of want to get higher, at 29, mm. Nick Solak at 28, John Birdie with the Marlins at 27, Miguel Anhu at 26, Hunter Dozier at 25, J.D. Davis at 24, My, Ryan McMahon, Tommy Edmond, and Scott Kingry at 21. So this isn't fantastic, but I'd say there's there's an eclectic 
group uh, here that can qualify utility better for um, better for you know bigger leagues like Alec Baum for an instance. Let me spout my concern that has now arisen with him because here's a guy we could have thrown into this position, Gene Segura. Phillies are they haven't openly done it yet, but the Phillies are talking and moving Segura around because Scott Kingry they may want as their starting second baseman. And if that's the case, they would move Segura to third, which then inadvertently, I think, affects the possibility of Alec Baum coming up even more, which is kind of crappy. Like, that's going to suck a little bit if that happens because I have Baum, I have Baum ranked, you know, high-ish in the top 30s because he's a guy, if he's going to get the opportunity, you want to make sure that you are invested. He's one of those guys you want to own if he's in there because the power potential could be really special, especially if he gets like half of a season, but he might be blocked more. This might also add Gene Segura to corner infield eligibility if he were to play enough games and give Scott Kingery. I mean, I have Scott Kingery at 21. You have him at 20. He might even be a little bit more enticing because now we can move him to second base. So Phillies are an odd group, and I might come off of my excitement of Bomb a little bit more as I have him way higher than the Fantasy Pros ranker, and I have him higher than anybody has him as a high, and I think there's more concern than there ever was before. Yeah, you know, I mean, Alec Baum's playing time, it kind of is all dependent on how good Scott Kingery shows up in the beginning of the year, right? Or maybe even in spring training, depending on uh, if he's a complete disaster in spring training or not. So, And if he is, it, Segura goes back to second, and that opens right. up a much better opportunity for him to get that third base spot. But, you know, all jacked up Kingery, if he's good to go, he's at second. What is the team going to want to give Segura off? So then your only other option is first, and Hoskins is at first, and they don't really have, and they're not going to move McCutcheon probably back to center. I mean, they could see now. Here's where those open that opening could happen. If if McCutcheon could man center, and they take Hazley or Harper. off, or Harper, Harper yeah, you're right. Sense. If one of them can, then they could put Hoskins back in the outfield. Baum worked at first base in the AFL, and will probably do it in the minor leagues. That might be his opening. So that's why I think. Maybe if it's draft and hold or a deeper league or if you have minor league spots, that's why I rank Baum in my top 300 because I think he's a guy that's worth drafting and not playing the waiver game with. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I just, I don't know how any of this is going to pan out. So I'm kind of a, uh, I'm going to wait and see. Alec Baum in most leagues is going to be a pickup anyway. So Nick Solak is one I I'm, I just so love with right now because we now have confirmation that he potentially has a job. They give they give him the center field job, so not only will he be third, he'll qualify in the outfield soon. I don't think he qualifies at third in most leagues. It, it mo- I, I, I think, think there's just utility. So there might be some leagues where he qualifies at third, but um, you're yeah, probably I, I don't right. Know where I, he is, I think there so. is. I thought there was one or two. Doesn't Yahoo have him? At, well, I'm sure Yahoo does. Did he look at catcher? Because now he's catcher qualified. So. <laughs> well, he stood in front of a catcher one time. So. He yeah, got the qualification. Yeah. Let me look. What do you real mean quick. he doesn't play catcher? He stands in front of him every time he bats. Right, he I mean, plenty of the catcher position. Remember when they gave Rizzo second base eligibility because he shifted a couple <laughs> yeah. times, and they're just like, well, it's because know. he put on a second baseman's glove. Yeah. By the way, that. second and third base eligibility on Yahoo for Solak. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, so, there you go. And he's only utility on uh, NFBC and fan tracks. That's right. So. And he's going to add outfield. So if you want me to give you a crew of players that I want, you know, everybody talks a lot about, you know, D- J.D. Davis and all the positives he did, which I get. Ryan McMahon could be super exciting if he's given the full-time job in Colorado. But Solak and um, 
uh, who's my other guy? Solak and Kingry could be really cheap, freer options that qualify at third that you can play other spots. But what about you? Who in this area are you? I mean, I guess Brian Anderson. Who do you love? Uh, well, obviously Brian Anderson, but he's going to play more outfield, I think. But uh, I, I don't mind taking a risk on Todd Frazier. You know, he's a power hitter. That's probably what you're going to get from him mm-hmm. is the, just the power stats. The average has been bad. So uh, if you're a good average team and you're looking for power late, you could do worse than taking Todd Frazier hitting in the middle of that Rangers lineup. I don't mind him still. And he is just free. Uh-huh. He's absolutely free. I know you're not into him. Not That's at all. Fine. If he works out, though, you, you have a good point. Like, if it works out, Texas is a good spot for him to drop bombs. I just I just don't. Like, I don't know what the format I would draft Todd Frazier with and take the risk because he doesn't pan out. They just cut his ass, and Danny Santana can be their third baseman. In right. A hundred percent. So, yeah, I mean, he definitely has to earn it and he hasn't the last two years hitting 213 uh you know but but or excuse me 213 the previous two years but last year he had 251 with the Mets well talk, so, talk about Brian Anderson though Brian Anderson is your love child like you love Brian Anderson like a fat kid loves cake I do love Brian Anderson and that's because most of the time uh at the bottom of the drafts I am looking for batting average and that's what uh, Brian Anderson provides you. Now, he only hit 261 last year, down from 273, but he's a decent power hitter. Uh, he's going to be hitting in the middle of the Marlins lineup, which isn't a great spot, but still, you know, those middle tier hitters yeah, are hard are, to come man. by. Bur- you know, Birdie, yeah. I got on this list because he kind of qualifies all over the board. Bert, um, John Birdie's like the Danny Santana for the Marlins, like super utility. Lots of speed. There's a little bit of power. He had a really good kind of like last couple months of the season, which gets him on here. Uh, the more I look at this, though, I'm 100% going to have Anderson and Solak over Birdie. So that's going to be adjustment when you see the new rank. So consider Birdie more 29. But the Marlins actually have guys that can manufacture runs, and Brian Anderson's going to be the one batting them in. So to your point, this can be a cheap, late, you know, tw- mid-20 homer guy that I think he could touch the 90s on runs and RBIs, and if the batting average goes up, watch out. And he also qualifies in the outfield. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, middle-of-the-order lineup guy, uh, probably going to hit higher than he did last year at 261 and added a little bit of pop last year. Yeah. So there's just there's not a lot of downside there. He even stole five bases, you know, which isn't much of anything, but it's more than uh, other CIs are getting you at this point. So Anuhar, uh, I, I do really like him. And I think we both like Anuhar, too. He's going to get some time at first. He's going to get some time in the outfield. Some platforms only have him at utility. Uh, I believe Yahoo should have him at, and you know, and we, it's, it's funny cause we scoff about like, and we joke about, well, actually this is funny. We joke about the Yahoo thing, but like a lot of people play on Yahoo. So we have to, you have to take to real consideration what they give eligible, but guess what? Andy Hart, only utility there. So, right, right. It's because he only played enough games to qualify at utility last year. So we don't really know. I mean, well, that takes him off a third base, though, dude. He, well, it does. But he came up as a third baseman. So I just don't know. Like, I think he's going to get a little bit of time at third for the Yankees, but a little bit of time at first. They're playing him in the outfield. He's kind of becoming a utility player for them. Obviously, he's not going to play in the middle of the field at all. But um, I just don't know where he's going to play. So I don't know, know if you're going to get eligibility on ESPN or fan tracks for third base, but I bet you will on Yahoo because, you know, Ursula, they really like at third. 
And, you know, if he were to get the full time run, you know, he has to be into consideration to being, you know, ranked here. Frankly, he should be coming up. And I would probably if I once I have more confidence in the midseason, I'll tell you, if you're looking if you're looking for our ranks in March, I'll bet you Ursula gets a bigger boost once I've seen what they're doing more with that third base spot. Because anywhere kind of mixes it up a little bit. But but, I have Ursula ahead of him, too, because, uh, you know, they're moving him. I, I think if they wanted to move. Uh, you know, if they thought Ursula wasn't going to be as good as he is, they would uh, they would have moved him around instead of moving Anduar. So uh, I, I think it speaks volumes for Ur- Urshela. So. It, it, yeah, it, yeah, Ursula would do that because super troopers. But yeah, Urshela, I, I would say um, it, it's a unique situation that I want to see more. But this range of players we've been talking about, they're really not even like the corner infield we want to play with. These are the 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 bench guys we want to make sure to draft because if they hit I mean JD Davis might be a starter for some people I'm just not we're both not you know quite as crazy about the hype on JD Davis Hunter Dozier's fine these are good like deeper league utility or you know smaller 12 man bench bats but the next tier of 20 to 11 this is where we're really getting into some core players and what separates third from first for me starting at 20 I've got Justin Turner I want to put him higher in just May Miguel Sano at 19, Yuli Gurriel at 18. Remember, Miguel Sano was like 15 on first base, but only 19 on third. Yuli at 18, Eduardo Escobar at 17, Mike Moustakis at 16, but we will only be drafting him as a second baseman. Same with Jeff McNeil, who comes in at 15. Uh, Josh Donaldson, Eugenio Suarez, Max Muncy, and Yoan Moncada. So I just gave you three players in my 20 to 11 that I wouldn't even be drafting as a second baseman. As a as a third baseman. As a third baseman, I'm sorry. I would draft them as a second baseman. Uh, for me, it goes Scott Kingery at 20, Miguel Sano at 19, Guriel at 18, then Moustakis, Eduardo Escobar, Matt Chapman, Jeff McNeil, Eugenio Suarez, Max Muncy, and Yoan Moncada now at 11 for me. Who do you got? Who do you want to talk about? I'm dominating. Well, I've been dominating. I mean, I, I like Jeff McNeil a lot, and, and I'm kind of surprised uh, I am at 14. Once again, a dude that qualifies at a bunch of positions. Don't know that I'm necessarily taking him at third. He's probably more likely a second baseman, but he winds up in the middle of these rankings. And once again, this is why I hate overall. But, you know, you look at the guys that are kind of in this realm here. And uh, Moncada hit 315, McNeil hit 318, uh, Guriel was almost at 300, 298. And then everybody else is kind of in the 250s to two seventies. Uh, so uh, just a high batting average guy hitting in middle of the Mets lineup, hit 23 bombs last year. So uh, I'm kind of into McNeil, but uh, I- I've taken Escobar in many spots. Like the Welsh said, second base, Moustaka, same thing, second base, uh, Gurriel and Snow are more first baseman. So it leaves me with the guys I'm kind of down on. Uh, I, I don't, I don't necessarily understand the fervor for which people love Matt Chapman. I think he's great. He's a good third baseman. Uh, He's got a lot of thump, but I think there is some weird uprising of people that love Matt Chapman. I do. I I think you're, I think you're off on this one. That's one like you are, um, let's see, you are, where did I go? The rank? I lost the rank. So you have him at 15. His average fantasy pros rank is 11. Like you are significantly down on him. Well, he's going to hit 30 homers. We know that. And yeah. that's great. Like I'm, I'm all about two that. straight years of a hundred plus runs, but he hit 250, right? Like Jeff McNeil literally hit 70 points better than him. Yeah. I buy uh, that. Suarez hit better than him. Bad uh, second you know, half for Chapman too, to, to, 
counter your point or to add to your point, 268 first half down to 222 in the second half. Right. So he just kind of fell off and maybe was, you know, uh, hidden injuries, all that stuff could have definitely happened. But most of the projections and, you know, once again, I'm not the biggest projection guy, but nobody has him hitting higher than 257, 257 on steamer. So I just like you can get 30 homers from a lot of guys and, and third base is fairly deep. So I'm just kind of surprised he's being snapped up. So high. Well, I, like, I mean, I, I could see like I'm not drafting Jeff McNeil as a third baseman because I want more thump. I don't believe in massive power from Jeff McNeil. And I think the projection systems agree in 133 games last year. He hit 23. No single projection system has him hitting over 20 homers. And every single one of them have him like 15 games or more played this season. So batting average is on point. Even some ATC's got him at 294. That's near the top. He's going to be an even run producer or scorer, 88 runs to 73 uh, RBIs on ATC. But the belief in the major power numbers doesn't exist. So, like, yeah, I'll trade 10 homers for, and, and it might be more than that, to, to be honest with you. I think so it's if you, 15. If you think, if you think Chapman is a uh, 40 home run guy, uh, it's obviously way more. But I'll trade, I'll trade uh, 10 homers for 50 points in batting average. If he's going to hit 320 again, 318, I'll trade 70 points for 15 homers. So, uh, you know, and I don't like that trade-off game because it's not really, it's not really what you want to do early in a draft. Okay, but, but the projection systems are more like 40 points. Would you trade 40 point? Would you trade 15 homers for 40 points of batting average? I would not. I, no, I probably wouldn't, but, but it that's would be what the close. System is. That's where yeah, most projections yeah, but, are. Yeah, but that's why I don't like projections. Yeah, no, I, don't, I know. I don't and think I'm he's going to drop off 20 points in batting average and 10 homers or whatever it is he's falling off McNeil is. So uh, I don't know. Like, I, I just. Well, he's not. I, McNeil is just not hitting as many. He hit 23 in 133 games last year. Everyone's like 287 with 20. Yeah, yeah. Three so, homers. So maybe he drops off, but I don't know if that Chapman hits 36 again, 35. I think he's good for 30. Uh, I think guaranteed, but I, I just, he's got to hit 275 with all those homers to go ahead of McNeil if they're all playing enough games. Yeah, I so, mean, I, I see him as like one of those premier, one of those just like bigger premier power bats. That's like been my approach with Matt Chapman. Like if I'm looking for those mid 30 homers, I want to make sure I get him. He's projected with the seventh most homers at third base, more than Bregman, more than Devers, but his batting average, to be fair, isn't quite as much. Which what's an interesting comp if you want to if you even care about the projection stuff is how close Eugenio Suarez and Matt Chapman are. I mean, they are almost the same player this coming year, except Chapman has a couple points higher batting average with more runs, but only two less homers. But now Suarez is evened out because of the injury stuff. Boggs, my like favorite third base who I want to be as a corner or, you know, in a deeper like fifteen team league, someone I'm going to target. And as we did this I adjusted his rank. I already adjusted it a couple spots up is Justin Turner. Justin Turner hitting between Mookie Betts, Max Muncy, and having Bellinger behind him is eye-opening. He had 27 homers last year with a 290 batting average. So he's Jeff McNeil with better power numbers and a better offense around him. And he's going, oh, I mean, he's going off as a 22nd third baseman on NFBC with a 160 uh, ADP where McNeil is at 92. Justin Turner, I want the shares this year. The only thing that holds him back, though, is the injury concern. He hasn't played 150 games since 2016. So that's where the inherent risk is. But Turner, I think across the board, 
across the board outside of stolen bases, but the other four categories, I think he can beat Jeff McNeil this year in a significant way with a much better offense uh, offense around him. I want my shares of Justin Turner either as my corner or if I really bomb out and miss out on third base, which has happened in some of the drafts we've done. I, I follow uh, along with your logic all the way. I, I, I like that Justin Turner pick. I like taking him late, too. It's hard for me to give credit to a Dodger, but I will mm-hmm. absolutely do it here. But to play devil's advocate on him is that I think not only are the injury, uh, his injury history a concern, but also, and, and this is something we ne- neglect when looking at overall production or games played from a lot of guys, is the fact that if he has something that's nagging, the uh, the stupid Dodgers can put somebody else in at third. I mean, Chris Taylor can play there. Kike Hernandez can play there. Yeah. There's plenty of options that they have. Should he have something that's not necessarily going to slap him on the IL, but maybe something he needs to rest for four or five days To for. be fair, to add to your point, too, is, you know, the team, like, you know, depth charts like to play around with this, but, you know, if Turner got hurt, Muncy could go to third. Lux can play second. Lux would be the second baseman, but Muncy could come off of first, go to third, and Cody Bellinger, you know, gold glove type of guy that can be at first base. So right. you're right. They do have the flexibility if he is nagging. And, you know, his average, you take the last, I mean, the dude is actually, this is amazing. He's only played 150 games once in his entire career. So he's more of an average, like 120 to 130 games. So you have to build that in. It's just the team is really exciting this year, so you might have more consistency from McNeil, but there's just such a big discount. And I, I just feel like he's one of the cheaper, freer players this year, and that's why I want to That's why I want to own my shares. Um, I mean, getting back to, uh, are you are you into Moncada? We both have him at 11. Yeah, I mean, I'm... <laughs> you sound less, uh, sound, sound less enthused about Moncada. Please. No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm in, I've always... I was the, and I know I've repeated this and I apologize, but like, you know, coming into last year, I gave him the the next chance. Like I, I believed in the talent and it really paid off, but guy had the league's highest Babbitt at 406. You hate him. You I hate don't. him. And I, I, okay, so Babbitt is part of the reason. I love the offense okay. around. He's got E5, Grand Dahl. He's got Tim Anderson. He's got Jose Abreu, Eloy, Luis Robert. There's so many good guys around him, and he's a 2010 type of a player. But I kind of come back to, like, like, okay, I don't believe the batting average of Moncada. And Moncada okay. is going as the seventh overall third baseman, or um, yeah, seventh third baseman, 61 overall. What does Moncada do so much better than Justin Turner at this point? Maybe he's safer to play. Uh, I'll give you if you say, well, he's going to play more games. He only played 132 last year, by the way. Okay, I'll give you that. He steals a couple more bases, but I don't care about those bases. You know, from 2 to 10, even though they are significant, my draft plan is probably going to hit the 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 stolen bases Earlier. You're taking guys that are taking that are stealing twenty bases and up earlier, so you don't have to take the handful of like, guys versus the twos. Like, I like here would be an argument if if these guys were closer in draft, and I was uh, like, oh crap, I'm in the nineties, and you know I got it, I really bombed down on stolen bases. I, I'm going to take Moncada over Turner. That's not the case. Moncada is going practically before. The, the stolen base guy, the, like the last bastion of like the Larianos, the Luis Roberts, the Victor Robleses. So I have to make the decision on Moncada early. I'm not going to do that because he's going to regress on batting average, though I love his team. There's just so many more comparable third basemen 
that have better, either they are a better batting average standpoint and do similar things, or I'll eat some of the batting average for massively bigger power numbers. So as much as Moncada is cool and fun, I, I don't think I'll own him this year because I don't think his cost is efficient comparative to like the players that are around him. So I'm just not going to do it. So we both are low on Suarez. Obviously, he's coming off of this uh, shoulder surgery and it's just stuff. Of the injury, he, but he's recovering quickly. I mean, I'll bump him back up. I, I will. Okay. Bring, I, I've already bumped him up a little bit, and I brought him up to where you had him in 13. Yeah, so. well, I mean, injury, you destroy injury. If a guy has, like, a bad injury, you want to kill, kill. I don't want to go into the season with a guy that just had surgery. I kill, just don't. Kill, kill, you know, Suarez. <laughs> no one's going to know what that's from. I, that's an old person <laughs> joke. If someone does, shout out to you that gets that one. Kill, 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 you know, Um, Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll bump him up. If, if I get, like... If he's in a spring training game and he's good to go for opening day, I yeah, probably got to put him back up. There, he'll be in the right? top 10. Yeah, he'll be in the yeah, top. Probably 10. I probably b- bump Chapman down a spot and he'd probably be number I'd 10. I'd put him in nine. If he plays in spring training, I'd put him up at nine. I mean, dude almost hit 50 homers last year. Yeah. So he can, if he can prove that he's healthy and he's ready to go, at least for most starts in April, I'll bump him back up. But I hate, I despise going into the year with someone with a nagging injury because what do we always hear? Well, you know, it's probably going to be, they said six weeks. I hate the, they said, they said six weeks. You know, that doesn't mean anything. Like they said six weeks. Well, they, they tried him out of five and he re-aggravated something. So now it's four more weeks. Yeah. You know, it, it seems like anytime I take someone going into the year with some type of injury, it's never just up to six weeks. Boom. They're good to go. Just up to four weeks. Boom. They're good to go. So it's some nagging thing. And then they, perform bad that first month well he's coming back from his injuries knocking the rust off so i don't like that stuff but suarez has been moving rapidly through his recovery he's just such a better bet than like i don't mean to pick on moncada and you know what i'll even give you like nancy chapman just doesn't go at a super high cost i think it's moncada specifically man like i go and look at moncada and if you want to pick on if you're not a believer in like let's say chris bryant or machado or guerrero you can attach these same points to it i'm really not going to kill you uh, for it because, I mean, I'm kind of making my own point, but, you know, the cost of some of these guys and specifically Moncada, I'm talking about it, like 61, look at the deal you get on Eugenio Suarez. His power numbers are on like, you know, they're they're just on another level, even if you miss a couple games on it. And, and also, you know, you have this guy higher, but like Josh Donaldson, you know, Josh Donaldson's another one of those guys that, you know, he's the 15th third baseman, 96 overall on NFBC. You're much higher. I think I'm also higher on him. I see those guys, and I, I just can't find the justification, specifically specifically Moncada, who has got a Babbitt that is going to come down to earth, and his stolen bases aren't enough of a warrant to move off of, you know, even the rest of those top 10 guys. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm with you on Suarez. So uh, show me a little recovery. And then I'll be good to go uh, with him moving into the season. But I got to put him at 13. I got to put him below yeah. some of these guys that are healthy. You want to go top 10? The season. Let's go to top 10. Am I starting here? Yeah, whatever. All right. I've got Donaldson at 10 from the Twins. DJ LeMayhew at 9. Chris Bryant at 8. Manny Machado at 7. Vlad at 6. Rafael Devers at, Devers at 5. <laughs> Anthony Rendon at 4. Jose Ramirez at 3. Arenado at 2. And stupid Bregman at one. <laughs> You're hanging around piece of Pia. He did the Devers. Um, <laughs> Matt Chapman. I've got at ten. I got Matt Chapman nine. Also DJ LeMayhew, Manny Machado at eight, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at seven, Chris Bryant at six, 
And then I think we have the exact same top five, Devers, Rendon, Jose Ramirez, Arenado, and Bregman. So we've already talked about um, Chapman. I mean, Donaldson we kind of skimmed over, but like he's going to be on one of the best offenses in Major League Baseball. And I think I cited in some old debates, you know, they were like top three and runs scored. I mean, they are they are like the um, they're like a shoot offense. Like they they don't worry about their pitching as much. They've got to have decent pitching, but they're going to outrun you, outscore you. Right. And Do- Josh Donaldson is now going to hit at the middle of that with Nelson Cruz. I mean, it's a lot of old dudes though. There's a little concern there. Yeah, I mean, and he's had an injury history too, so I understand the concerns coming into the year. But also, he got better as the year went on. Uh, last year too, he hit. Uh, 270 in the second half with 19 of his uh, 37 bombs coming in the second half as well. So he hit at a higher clip in the second half. So it's kind of, you could see him through this year. He only played 52 games in 2018, but he came into the year kind of still a little gimpy. He even had a scare like right coming out of spring training into the season, but he played 155 games and he got much better in the second half. So uh, I think when you add that up where he got better in the second half and uh, more power in the second half and put him in the middle of a better lineup, uh, I'm all about Josh Donaldson this year. So I, I put him at 10 and I'm not probably moving off of that. I think Machado is a player like, uh, he's not one of those. I'm going to say you're only drafting him at shortstop. That's not true. You can draft him at third no. base. So you can go either way. He's such a crazy case because you know he was at the top of projections for shortstops, but he's number two at third base, 37 homers. If that, you know, again, I'm citing all of these just for reference for you guys. Not, I'm not. It's not an advocation of like you know. Oh, we believe in this stuff. It's just so you guys understand where they are. Like there is a firm belief as who is a player we were just talking about. Was it in, oh, first base, where Reese Hoskins is like a, a positive regression? It's not quite the same thing, but there's kind of that positive regression with Manny Machado that's happening this year because last season, uh, last season he hit 32 homers in 156 games with the Padres with the 256 batting average. And it's exactly what I was saying, actually, where Steamer has him as 37 homers with a 272 batting average, almost 20 points higher. More homers, more runs, more RBI, literally everything more across the board. <laughs> and Steamer's a system that wants to play nice. They want to play safe with it. I caught Machado uh, in the first days of camp. He looked, yeah, he looked fine. Um, you know, I wouldn't say like he looked skinny or anything like that. He, but he looked like he was in a good space. He was working early with uh, Tatis Jr. and uh, Profar and Hosmer. It's a killer infield. There's a lot of offensive support on that team. They added Tommy Pham. They might be even adding somebody else new with Profar. I think there's a lot of offensive changes the team has made for the positive that work. And I buy a lot of the um, the positive regression stuff with Manny Machado. And, and you and I have been saying it, if anyone's been listening to episodes, like Machado's a player we want to own. Like we'll find a spot for him. That, and that's a key, Boggs of this top eight range that we're in is we're, we're starting to get in this range where we'll find a spot for you because I think right. from uh, uh, this tier I have is like Machado, Vlad, and Bryant. They're a tier. They're tier three for me at third base, and I'll be good. Like Even if I, ha- even if I drafted Bregman, I'll draft Machado. Even if I had Bregman and um, Tatis Jr., let's just say for just some stupid argument's sake, I had them. I'm not afraid to take Machado later in a draft. Because he 100%. just fits. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point, when you're picking this high with these guys, it doesn't really matter. You're going to find a spot, whether it's CI, MI, utility. You're going to find a spot for one of these guys to play. It doesn't really matter. So I'm with you on that. And, yeah, I'm. I, this is like the one year. It was the a bad year for Manny Machado last year. There's no uh, ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, people were concerned. But I think this is, once again, we mentioned on a million podcasts, we got the overcorrection. There is yeah. no need to drop him down this far because you can kind of expect positive regression from him. As BAPIP was a career low 274 last year. Not a career low, excuse me, at 265 in 2017. But uh, the year before is 304. So put him somewhere near his career is 298. Put him around 300 there. And this batting average shoots up. And they've got him coming up 20 points. So uh, not a surprise from that. And by Manny Machado this year, the one year you can get him at a discount, 100%. The two do just a couple notes on Bryant and Guerrero. I'm higher on Bryant Shocker than than you. Um, I think the news of him leading off is actually still a positive. Maybe there's, I mean, I mean you, can, you have to play like a speculative game, unfortunately. Like if you're just not a believer in him, then you just move on. Like, you and know, that's those, not even a, a done deal, you know. Uh, the the leadoff no. thing. He volunteered to do it, but we'll see. We'll see what they want to do. Yeah, no, it's it's not definitely not a done deal. Uh, he's tied at the, or I'm sorry, he's tied for yeah, tied for second among third basemen in projected runs. He's with Donaldson and Arenado. Um, Bregman is projected for more. He's in the 30 home run camp. He's in the 90 RBI camp. Stolen bases aren't there, but I think you could speculate that if Bryant is leading off, you know. Uh, he, maybe he's going to change his approach, you know, to being a more contact hitter. So batting average could come back up. There could be some stolen bases in that market. I'm actually just bullish on Bryant for this year, also having outfield eligibility. And then Vlad, I want to get your take on both these guys. Vlad Jr. has trimmed up in the offseason, higher workout regimen, and some of the camp talk is, you know, that his body was really breaking down and that was something that was hurting his ability. You know, he hits the ball so goddamn hard, but the problem was was he wasn't able to get any real trajectory on it. So he just hit it in line drive. We saw that. He hit like a, a just a rocket. I don't remember who it was, who the hell it was Pearson. in the AFL. No, was it Pearson? No, it wasn't no, Pearson. No, it was, it was later right. in the game. I don't know who it was, but he hit this rocket off of someone in the AFL. And it, I mean, it probably went like two feet up, but he hit it like 118 miles an hour it to the wall. It would have been the fourth, uh, the fourth highest exit velocity if it had been a major league at bat for the, that season. But he had no trajectory, so. so it hit the wall and it bounced off. So the idea the is... fat guy triple. Yeah, is is he's improved his body enough that he's going to hold up and that's going to allow him, for his body to not break down, that's going to allow him to get under the ball better, launch the ball more. Projection systems aren't really there, sadly. I think, that, I think the highest is like 22 homers on him this year. No, Steamer's got him at 25. I'm sorry, that's probably the high. No, <laughs> depth charts, but that doesn't count. So Steamer at 25. <laughs> Batting average is still very friendly. Like These are two guys that I think there's positive changes in their baseball life that make me feel like I would like to own my shares. Like I don't know how aggressive I'm going to be on either one of them. I might be more aggressive on Bryant because I feel like he might be more cost-efficient. Um, I mean, I might be making that up, but he's going later than Vlad right now, where Vlad's going around six overall or 60, and Bryant is nine at third base and 68. Both guys that I'm in on the changes they made, but what say you? Yeah, I mean, look, Vlad is still unbelievably young, too. and He's still uh, 20 years old. He'll turn 21 before the season starts next month. And you got to also think about the 
thought process of being a rookie, seeing how this year plays out. There's more games than you've ever played in your career. And, um, you know, adjusting to the, the schedule and all that and being able to keep your body up, which is not something that he was doing at age 20 anyway. I don't think any of us really were at age 20. Well, <laughs> or 36 so, or 37. Or 37. Yeah. So, you know, uh, but but I think that he kind of knows what the, the rigors of the regular season are going to do to him now. Uh, he can uh, formulate a better uh, plan of action to stay healthy. And like you said, you, came, you come into camp healthy uh, hopefully you can carry that into the whole year. So I'm high on Vlad. Yeah. I think we got a little bit of an overcorrection from him because we definitely have not seen the best of what he has. And dude, that's even my, close. That's always been my big argument. Like, you know, me and Scott White talked about this a lot where I, I was, especially on the in-season stuff I was doing with him, like, you know, it was just like, well, you know, Vlad is, you know, way down there. And the argument was always like, well, what did he do last year that makes me feel good? Look at all the other guys that outperformed him. And I understand that, but there's got to be a marker. I mean, it doesn't have to be. You don't have to do this, but I will do this. There's a marker to believe that a young, really, really talented player is going to have the wherewithal to, to readjust their game. And Vlad just disappointed everybody's cost last year. To be frank, even if he had been drafted not— so much. Yeah, if he, even if he had not been 50 overall and he was 100 overall, he would have been a massive disappointment at 15 homers. But, like, if you've seen him in person, you scouted him, and you are a believer in his skill set and his talent, you know it's got to change. So when is it going to change? Is it this year? I think it's it's a better bet to bet this year. Could it be the following year? Probably. It's probably going to be the big year next year. But like if you believe that this guy putting in the work, having a season behind him, getting, you know, the the all the craziness of your rookie season out of the way and starting full go as the third baseman, there's something in that. So like if you if you're not into Vlad this year, I think it's just about being like, it's just an overhyped prospect. He disappointed. He's not going to turn it around. I'm the opposite. Like, this is the Mike Trout factor to me. He came up, he, he was blah for a year, and when he gets go- when Vlad gets going, he's going to be super exciting. And there's Arenado upside for him into the future. I just don't know if it's full in this year, but you and I both want to buy in. And, a less, and in a lesser plane, I feel like we had that last season with Moncada, right? Uh, people were kind of down on Moncada. He was like a, he, was, he was like the second year into that. But you're right, right. You're, like it's the same thing. But that was just like year two. So like if Vlad has a 20 homer season this year and hits 279 and is like 80 80, I think that'll be a similar. Like we'll kind of walk into next year like we did last year with Moncada, where everyone's like, mm, I don't know, man. I don't know if it's really going to pan out. And then all of a sudden, blow up. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, obviously a different situation because even with Moncada being like the number one ranked prospect and everything, there still wasn't that unbelievable hype on him that we had on Vlad. And people drafted him in 2017 thinking, oh, he's going to come up. He's going to be scoring for my team. And he played 54 games, you know, and he hit 231. So not exciting. 2018 hit 235 had 17 and 12. So there was a little excitement there, but I don't feel like there was enough. And then this year he uh, improved his batting average by 80 points, 80 points. So, you know, just imagine if Vlad does that this year. I mean, I don't think he can go up 80 points, but let's bring his batting average up 50 points. How many homers is that? We all saw how much power he has. Even if you hadn't been scouting him or looking at him or whatever, you saw in the home run derby the unbelievable amount of power this dude has in his bat. It's going to come out at some point. 
don't think it's probably going to be this year. I think we could see much improved numbers, though. So I'm all hey, in. Man, I'm all in. You give me a 20-year-old that can hit 270 in the majors, I, I'm okay. Like, understand that he's not even 21 years old. He's got more raw power than most. When it clicks, it's going to click well. And you're not paying the crazy cost this year. So, like, I get it. You don't want to play the risk. You just dump him down because it's like, hey, he didn't perform super great last year. Why am I going to pay some super high price this year? It's it's the landscape, man. Sometimes we have to follow the runs. We know the different strategies. Sometimes we have to pay up for uh, SPs in specific spots when we don't want to. And Vlad is one of those guys. But it just happens to be a position that... You don't need to pay the hyper price on. So that's why, like, if you miss the top tiers, Bryant, Guerrero, Machado is a really good range because his top five, it encompasses five players in the top 25. You know, Devers coming off of a career year leading the league and not only doubles, but being, you know, a power mashing third baseman. And there's a lot of excitement centered around him this coming season. Anthony Rendon has a new spot with Trout. That's open for interpretation. Jose Ramirez was so bad early on and turned it around and is is one of the very few, if really only in the top 10, true power speed, like 2020 type of guys. And then you've got the obvious Arenado and Bregman. So, you know, what what's your what's your read of this situation? Because like I'm downish on Bregman more than most because I think the power numbers are going to come off pretty hard. Uh, ish, hard-ish, you know, like, I just don't believe he's a 40-plus homer guy. I think he's a low 30s. And um, Arenado's coming at a cheaper price, but Jose Ramirez, it's kind of sexy in that team construction, man. You got to pick in the mid-second round, and you want some speed, and you can get some power out of the third base spot. In some places, he's going to qualify at second, I think, still. Yeah, so, I know. T- TGFBI is, I'm going to have a hard time. He only qualifies at third in uh, NFBC and fan tracks. I know that, so... Uh, it, I'm going to have a, on you. Oh. a difficult time uh, in our TGFBI because I'm picking 15, uh, passing on a guy like Jose Ramirez. I think the only reason you do at that point he is, is only third on Yahoo, by the way. He he um, he's only third on Yahoo. Yeah, too. so he's wow, not second. Look at that. So um, he put together. We looked it up between the two years, right? Between the end of uh, 2018 and the beginning of 2019, he put together a full season of crappiness. So. It's he's just he still is a risk. He hit 255 last year, obviously uh, way, way, way better in the second half for him. But he is he's a guy that you look at and you go, well, why isn't this guy going in the first round? You know, and then you look at the splits and you go, yeah, okay, that's why. So I have a difficult time placing Jose Ramirez. I think I have him around uh, in my overall. Um, I have him at. Uh, well, where did he go here? Um, I have him at 15 overall. So uh, I, I'm probably right in that range of taking him there. Um, he's probably a prime guy. But he's for dicey. Me. He's dicey yeah. and third base is deep. Okay. So it might lower his overall value to me a little bit. And he may not even be there for me when I pick two. So. For you, he might not be. Positive regression. It's another candidate for positive regression. Hit 255 last year with 23 homers and 24 stolen bases. Guess what? 23 homers and 24 stolen bases kind of subdue some of the bomb out because the guy hit 218 in the first half with seven homers, but he had 18 stolen bases. So he made 27. Yeah. Well, so that's where we're going half. with it. Second God. half, he. He almost doubled a 327 batting average with 16 homers, but the power, but the speed went away. So he literally flipped the power and the speed. And positive regression on projections, he is beating every single statistical marker in 
every single projection system across the board. 31 homers, 23 stolen bases for the bat, and a 279 batting average. ATC, 3027 with two with 276. Even Steamer, 3123 with 277. Guess what you can't get at third base? 20 plus stolen bases, unless you have one player, Jose Ramirez. 90 90 in every single projection system on the homers and runs. This is a stuff and things player that positive regression off of that 327 batting average second half. Believe that he made the right changes and he can right this ship again. And he's coming at a second round cost. Guess what? Probably going to own some shares of him. Might even be in TGFBI because it's not often that you can get and you can't do it at this position. You there are certain players. That if you want to really play this stuff, and we call stuff and things out of position stats, you can play these cards by dominating. Like if you get a shortstop with 20 plus stolen bases, let's say you get a Tatis, then you can get third base with 20 plus stolen bases. Then you could try to jump in and get a second baseman, maybe like a VR, 20 plus stolen bases. You could build a team with five to eight players with 20 plus stolen bases, your outfield, you know, can be Laureano and Robles. And then guess what? You can pick up some super late ass power in some of the first base. When we talked about, you can get tricky with stuff and Ramirez can be at the heart of that. There is some inherent risk. The position is deep, but I don't know, man, like I like the positive regression talk. I like that the most camps are back in on his turnaround. He might be one of the ideal second round picks you could have. He's one of the, I feel like such a dummy with Jose Ramirez because I'm like, I'm listening to you and I'm sitting there going, yeah, yeah, yeah let's go. Let's go. <laughs> and then I'll listen to somebody else go like 160 games of 215 batting average and lower. I'm like, he sucks. He's a I loser. What a loser. <laughs> you know, so that's why I call him dicey because I personally have mixed feelings about and Jose Ramirez. I get it. And, and, and it's just hard to battle. And you want to know but, why too, dude? Because it's coming off of like, Right, like literally probably two picks in front of a guy like Ramirez are players like Bregman and Arenado. You know, especially right. Arenado. Like Arenado is falling more than ever. Arenado might be one of the bigger steals in the draft that you can get nowadays because flipping, he, he's practically falling out of the first round. We've seen it in so many of the big leagues. He's fallen out of the first round. And Fantasy Pros has him, uh, you know, they have him at one and Bregman at two. I think a lot of that has to do with the Astros scandal. Uh, but uh, I, I think that we both have him at two because it seems like he still has the potential to get traded. And, you know, wherever you go. That's cooked in a little bit. Yeah. It, it ain't Colorado. You know what I mean? Like, and guys sometimes have an adjustment. Is Nolan Arenado still going to be an amazing hitter? Of course. Doesn't really matter where he goes. But some of the amazingness may tick off, especially in that first year uh, transitioning out of course field to a, a different field. So uh, I think that's baked in for both of us here. I, I, I am honest with you. I don't want to own any shares of Bregman uh, at this point. Kind of afraid of him getting beaned a bunch <laughs> and going on the the IL at some point. Yeah, or he, getting the fights because he's kind of a punk. I'm too, lower so. on the overall camp of him. I probably don't own too many Bregman shares. I might own some Arenado though. You know, when if if I were to start a draft with an Arenado Freeman, boy, that's an awesome start. But I'm gonna feel the need the need for speed. I'm gonna feel like I want to want to press it a little bit higher. So there's there's something about you know if, if more than I'm talking about this in the top ten third baseman. The two I'm probably most likely to own, I think it might be Ramirez. I think I might take some shares of Ramirez, and I think I'm probably going to own some Chris Bryant shares. I think that could be a, a a guy that I end up getting in some spots. As long as I've evenly balanced out my team, because the only problem about third base 
and I think you might notice this as well, Boggs, is it's in clumps. This is, and I don't think a lot of other positions are like this. There's this top tier clump where it's like Bregman to Devers, which are five guys in the top 25. Then guess what? In the 60 to 80 range, there's Bryant, Vlad, Machado, LeMahieu, Chapman. And then there's this, you know, they work in clumps. They're not spread out enough. So it kind of, it makes the position a little bit weird unless you want to play the value market, which is guys like Suarez and Donaldson. And you can do that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm absolutely with you. Third base, extremely deep this year. It yeah. should be so much fun to draft. Get your CI out of here, too. Uh, there's a lot to love at third. It's very, very good. And there you go, friendos. That is the Corner Infield Ranks episode. It is a long doozy one. Now you know why it's Hell Week. Let me tell you something. You like Hell Week. You like ITL. You like what we talked about. Support your boys. Patreon.com slash ITL Army. You can support your boys because we put a lot of work into this stuff. The people that follow us, they know the ITL grind. They're like, how the hell do you guys do it? We don't even know sometimes. But we are going to be producing probably upwards of just this baseball podcast, eight to nine hours of content just this week during Hell Week, not to mention what I do on Prospect One. And guess what? Even next week, we'll be back with more cool stuff. But tomorrow, middle infield. It's going to be a great conversation because shortstop is deep. Second base, it's my nemesis. It's my nemesis this <laughs> it's year. It's everybody's nemesis. It is, and it's it's something we got to find out. What do we want to attack, and where do we want to go with it? So make sure you're tuned into that episode. ITL keeps a chugging along with Hell Week. It's Bogman. You can find him on Twitter at Bogman Sports. Find me on Twitter at Is It the Welsh. We'll be back with you guys again tomorrow. Hope you guys enjoyed the corner infield episode. Later, fire.